The Extra Crispy Podcast is brought to you in part by our sponsor, Steve's LEDs. Steve's LEDs can supply you with anything you need from aquarium lights, horticultural lights, supplies, and parts. Great customer service. Contact Steve's LEDs. Check out their products at stevesleds.com. It's Extra Crispy, Curious Conversations with me, your host, Crispin Schroeder. So today, uh, this kicks off Season 2 of Extra Crispy. Some of you may be thinking, Season 2? I didn't know that those last podcasts were Season 1. Well, uh, I'm, I'm an experiential learner, and I think what I've experienced in the first six months of doing podcasting is that uh, certain times... Podcasting is really easy to do. Certain times of the year, my life just gets crazy busy. <laughs> so um, I'm going to try to do a seasonal format where I'll do about 10 episodes and release them over a period of uh, three or four months at a time. So today will be the first episode of season two. And you're going to really want to stick around for this episode. Uh, but before I get into the guests for today, I wanted to also announce that I've got my first children's book coming out, which is called When the Machines Woke Up. It's it's like a legit, like, you know, hardcover, illustrated children's book. Uh, and you may think, that sounds like a horrifying name for a children's book. Well, have no fear. It is, it is just, uh, it's based on a song from my last album, which actually before it was ever a song, I thought it was going to be a children's book. So, uh I've just circled back around to the idea, and Rachel Pace, who did the artwork on my last album, she has done some phenomenal uh, illustrations. I think she could uh, maybe have a whole career in children's illustration. It's it's fantastic. So we're going to be kicking off crowdfunding for that, and uh, I, th I think you're going to want to buy one for yourself and maybe for some of your friends with kids. Uh, it's going to be kind of a quirky <laughs> children's book about artificial intelligence waking up and what if when the machines wake up they're not like terminator or the matrix what if they work boring jobs and have relationship problems and create art and stuff like that so that's kind of the idea of it so but now uh, i want to talk a little bit about my guest today i have been knowing paul meany since i don't know probably back 94 95 um and Paul has been the lead singer, uh, songwriter, musician for Mute Math uh, for about 12 years now, I guess, or maybe a little bit more than that. And um, before that, Earth Suit. <laughs> Many years before that, we used to play some gigs down on Bourbon Street as well. And uh, Paul is, is really one of the uh, most amazing musicians I know, creators, creative people. And so... Uh, we're going to be talking mute math, Christian culture from the, from the 90s. Uh, we're going to touch a little on faith, and uh, he's got some great stories in here. So without further ado, let's go to this conversation. Paul Meany of Mute Math.
now it's working again. It's saying. <laughs> so you were saying. <laughs> You got to make sure it's recording, right? That's the whole thing. That's the and that was an expensive lesson learned. Uh, when we we're recording our first album. Um, now we were about to do the vocals for Typical. Yeah. Um, you know, we're a brand new band. We knew Typical was a special song. Um, and the producer gave me the pep talk of, okay, now whether this song works or not is all in the vocal. The difference between a single and an album track is the brilliance of the vocal. So you got to go in there and you got to bring it, bring your A game, because uh, this can be a song for you guys. Like, okay, okay. I'm all, all hyped up. I go into the vocal booth and, um, you know, and he's just coaching me through. He's like, all right, come on, give it all you got. And I'm laying it down, take after take. We're going. It's brilliant. You're God's gift to vocals right now. Do another one. Go higher. Go harder. Whatever it is. And I'm doing, and I must have been in that vocal booth for probably about an hour and a half and just take up, take, just throwing it. Ad libs, harmonies, shouts, everything. I come out of that vocal booth and I'm ringing wet. I remember specifically <laughs> squishing in my shoes. And Dang, my, dude. I was sweating my knees. Like my, I, 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 somehow it was like the show level, going. show level <laughs> knee sweats, dude. And um, the producer came out. We hugged. Like, that was amazing. This is going to be so great. Um, we went out for a beer afterwards. You know, it was just... Oh, no. Was, that was how we ended the night right there. <laughs> Said goodbye. Next morning, I get a call from him, of course. It's like, you know, man, I was going through the vocals and just missing a few things. Just like three lines I need you to come in and get. And I'm doing an inventory in my mind as he's telling me this. I'm like, man, I'm pretty sure I sang everything like five times over. But okay, yeah, you never know. Fresh ears. Yeah, I'll be there. Oh. So I go in, and he's like, all right, just go in. We'll just get it going. And I notice really quick, I'm singing the whole song again. We're not zeroing in on any parts. I'm just singing it all over, and I'm starting to get fuming. I'm like, what's he not telling me? And so I finally called him on. I'm like, what are you doing? Just tell me what's going on, man. Don't play me right now. He's like, God, I'm so sorry. But the whole time we were recording last night we never stopped to listen to what we had to make sure we were getting it because we were just in the zone we were going 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 made the classic mistake and what was happening was he was using a new preamp he had that he was running the vocal through and it was a digital one (laughs) it was a digital one and had some kind of weird delay effect on it and it was an infinite feedback delay on every take i did so basically the first like (laughs) 80 milliseconds of every take was okay then after that it was just unusable feedback delay. And um, oh, that's awful. I was gutted. He felt so horrible. And like, well, what are we going to do now? I'm not going to do the whole, we're not doing the whole charade over again. I'm yeah. going to go in there and sweat from my knees. <laughs> so I left the studio and I said, just give me the songs. I went home and I did all the vocals myself. So what came of typical is the vocals I wound up recording myself. But I still wonder this day, yeah. would the song done any better had we had those original vocals?
that, what if that was the key right there? It what was. What if it would have been like a whole di- a whole other universe you'd be and living in I know. Oh. oh, well. There you go. That Just sucks, remember man. to stop and listen. Yeah. Gosh. And it's, yeah, it's 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 the idiotic stuff like that. It's I guess it's the, the kind of the, what is it, that most people have car crashes within two miles of their home. Like, that's... That's it's the the places where you're most familiar. Right. Are the things that are gonna bite you in the butt because you just you're not paying attention. And gosh, yeah, it's uh gets me over and over again. It happens. But hopefully it doesn't happen with this today. Right. And backup. How's your backup system? You want to always run your backups. Have a good backup. That reminds and me. And then have backups for backups. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get one of those. Do it one day. <laughs> That first Mute Math album, how long ago was that? Was that Man, we were recording that in 05, 04, 05, because wow. there was a reset EP that happened as well, which was all from the same sessions. But yeah, 04, 05. Um, we released it, what was it, January of 06. We had the independent okay, yeah. version of yeah. it. So yeah, I remember we were touring through 05 and it's coming off the road and just trying to make that debut album. Yeah, I remember uh, David Rumsey was at the Vineyard in Kenner, and he was running sound and playing with us and yeah. stuff. And, and he'd been in Earthsuit, um, and he had, he, I remember he put it on the system the first time, and oh, <laughs> listening yeah. to that, I was like, this is pretty cool stuff back then. Nice, yeah. No, yeah. Um, I, w- I actually went back this morning. I've, I've been on a nostalgic phase lately. I don't know why. It's I guess I'm just my... My ass is getting old. That's what happens. Um, it's okay. I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> I was listening back to some uh, Earth Suit this morning. Yeah. yeah. How'd that hit you? It, w- it was cool, man. I was like, yeah. Um, it, it was taking me back. I, w- I was trying to to actually put in the... the that was kind of mid to late 90s? Or was that... That was 2000. Oh, that was 2000. That was, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We we came from 98 to 99 <laughs> for 2000 and beyond. We made it to 2002. That's when we broke up. <laughs> How many and albums did y'all do? We did one. One. Okay. One I... one glorious debut. Uh my daughter recently discovered oh. Earthsuit uh on on the YouTube rabbit trail. Um I didn't see this particular interaction happening, uh but she's 6 now and she was watching one time and laughing and seeing that that was daddy. And um, she kind of liked the song. It was kind of catchy. And then she said, but daddy, what do the lyrics mean? Oh. <laughs> Try explaining the lyrics of one time to a six-year-old. That would have been a great exercise back then. And we would have probably definitely done some revisions <laughs> if we knew that was the case. I'm like, 
I, oh, honey, yeah, this is it's it's really bad lyrics. I, we just you know we were having fun. It was a lot of inside Christian lingo <laughs> that I don't know how to explain it to you. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I I went. There you go. I, I found. Oh, you know. I'm gonna give you one of these, if you if you don't have it already. Wait a minute, this looks familiar. This is yeah. <laughs> I have the CD. I, I, Dude, I, this was the first thing I heard of yeah. you when I met you at Cafe Joel. Yeah, yeah. So this uh, was awesome, man. I was listening back to that. The other, I haven't listened to that album, uh, you know, just out of you know shame. Uh, shame. In, in, Wait a minute, wasn't David Lucky on this? Yeah, he was. I remember he that. was. Yeah, this was a fantastic record. And uh yeah, I went back and listened to it and I'm like, you know, it's it's 96 and it's like it's everything 90s. Like like everything. Yeah, like, in a good way, I'm sure. Like the first song is like my attempt to merge Dave Matthews and and grunge music together, right, right. you know. <laughs> like it's so why shouldn't you? It's weird listening back to those points because you, you and, and I, I noticed that even with Earthsuit, listening to that today, like you can hear this, some of, you know, like you're, the, the, the ideas that, that later get realized, I think the way you wanted them to with Mute Math, but I could, I could hear like, you know, you're, you're exploring these things, you know, with, from more of the DJ culture, you know, samples and, right. and, and trying to merge that with rock and reggae and all these different things you could hear it um but it's it, it's been kind of neat to see how how that I, I i think you know you you refine those things and you know obviously we all grow up thank god um but sure yeah what's that been uh, that that uh musical musical journey been for you you know as a as an artist like uh learning how to because uh, i was re I, I was listening to somebody the other day that was saying you know one of the problems creative people have is they can get inspired by so many different things that it can be hard for them to find their own voice because it's like and 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 when i was listening back to my <laughs> my sound array i'm like it's it's rather schizophrenic because i'm going all over the place and and it all kind of sounds cool in its own way but it didn't come together and I, I think what I've seen in you is like, you know, particularly the last, a lot of, you know, the stuff with mute math is like that stuff's kind of coalesced in, in a, in a better way. But uh, what, what's that been like for you? Yeah. Well, it's been exactly as you described the problem. Um, <laughs> and my problem was definitely just loved so much and wanted to just, well, why can't it all be in the same yeah. song? <laughs> yeah. Let's do it. Um, why can't we do reggae rapping and uh, jacuzzi jazz and, you know, what, whatever it is. Just jam it all in the one song. Everybody's invited. That's right. Um, it's no discrimination at this party. And 
Yeah, it just makes for some really troubling sounding music most of the time, <laughs> unless you unless you really know what you're doing, which yeah. we didn't. And um, but it's all part of the fun, you know. It's yeah. it's it's young. You're young. Who cares? You know, we're trying to figure it out. Um, I felt like the stakes were pretty low, and yeah, now I can listen back to some of that and and cringe, but I also can hear the intention and like what yeah. it was trying to do, you know, and and the big lesson takeaway that I, I tell my daughter when she watches one time is I go, okay, now see, that's daddy trying too hard. Yeah. This is, <laughs> this is something you can do as an artist. Yeah. Um, when you don't really know what you're doing, but you just got to just yeah. do it on 11. Yeah. And, um, but you know, that's part of the learning experience. Right. And I think, yeah, once you get in front of audiences yeah. and you are finding peers and other bands that you're playing with. And, um, you know, as, as awesome as it was, you know, and we, we played together for a while in the yeah. early days and we had a great time and in and out of a bunch of bands, but the, the, the range of a lot of people who were, there wasn't much of a scene here. It, it no. wasn't, and, and no one was really aspiring to like, get on the national stage or get at, at certain festivals or just wherever that next record deal level was. Um, which when we were fortunate enough to finally find that deal, then there's a whole new echelon of yeah. a community of musicians that you run into and audiences and you realize, Oh, what we're doing is really not that great. Um, and it's okay. It forces you to be better and refine it. Yeah. How do we make it better? How do we write better songs? How do we connect what we're trying to say uh, with an audience who we don't go to church with, who doesn't see yeah. us at the, you know, whatever the football game. And so as that happened, um, we realized we needed to break up. So that's what earth suit <laughs> did. We're like, let's call it quits and we need to try other things. Yeah. Um, I'm going to do a reset and bring in mute math and the reset EP. Yeah. And um, I think when I had, found Darren along the journey. Um, you know, there was a, there was a brotherhood that happened. It was like, I don't know. We had a chemistry and we, we felt like we, um, we could start making songs together that might take us somewhere yeah. that we wouldn't have found otherwise. And that's exactly what happened. Um, and I think we had learned some lessons. I always look at earth suit as kind of like my college experience yeah. in music. Um, and, it was good. You know, I, I remember the the big takeaway that I found out in Earthsuit was about just because you hire a name producer doesn't mean your record's going to sound good. Um, and, you know, you got a record company that's going to spend a bunch of what money. What was his name? It was David Leonard. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm, David Leonard was awesome. Yeah. I don't even know why he took the gig. But, you know, I guess he needed one and we needed to produce it. It just so happened it worked out. Um, but he was trying to make the most of some really challenging songs. And, you know, we had, being a young band, you know, we had these delusions of grandeur <laughs> on what it was going to sound, what the drum should do was. And he's just like, dude, just go in there and play, man. I'll, don't worry, I'll make it all right. <laughs> and, um, and I remember when we finally got the mixed version of the record final album it's gonna go out we just had to approve it i panicked i put it on in my car and i listened i said this sounds horrible 
what happened? And I started putting it up against all the other records that I thought we were going to be able to rival. <laughs> and we were getting our ass kicked. I yeah. couldn't believe, like, how did it slip through the crack? I thought I was in the studio. I was listening to all this go down. I was all excited. And then we got removed from it. It got mixed. It got sent to me. And it was like, it was just horrible. Something I was not happy. I called the president of the record company. I'm like, please don't put this out. We got to redo it. We got to start. He, and he told me I was having something called finishing anxiety, which is okay. <laughs> Happens to all the rookie bands. Um, you, we're, just, we're gonna talk you through it. It's okay. It's not that bad, Paul. It sounds really good. This is a fantastic debut album, but it doesn't sound as good as even the other bands you have. And like, what? Yeah. What happened? Well. He talked me through it, but even to this day, I can listen back and go, I know exactly what went wrong and I know it was a problem. And, and, you know, and it forced me to want to become more of a student of production yeah. and mixing and even mastering. Like there's a lot of things that go into getting the magic of when you're in your own studio or in a nice studio and you're listening through these great speakers and everything's magical and you turn it up loud and everything sounds awesome. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you get in your car and it's not so magical. Like all of a sudden it's up against other CDs. It's like, wh yeah. why is it not punching? Why is it not 3D? Why is the vocals sound weird? You know, it's, and there's a lot of things that have to happen. And so when we started Mute Math, that was something that Darren and myself spent a lot of time trying to figure out. We were doing remixes for other people at the time and um, producing just tracks for people. And we were trying to become better record makers and so um i'm really proud of the work that and so when mute math started to happen and um and even though we forgot to press record or record correctly <laughs> with the vocal um aside from those things i'm i'm really proud of what we were able to start yeah um uncovering production wise in the mute math so yeah there's, there's a journey for you gosh <laughs> well and it, it you know as, as you're talking i'm, I'm thinking about like it really is interesting when when you're a young musician because the things that tend to impress you um i mean i guess it's like anything in life i mean you know when you drink you start drinking wine or something like you know like the you think that the the sweeter it tastes like the better you know uh you know the things that tend to impress you when you don't really you're you're not seasoned i i've got a 14 year old boy who's who's <clears throat> learning guitar right now and right and he can play a lot of Led Zeppelin licks and stuff. And, um, and he even, he even made the comment to me the other day. He goes, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty much as good as you on guitar now. Nice. <laughs> nice. And I'm like, this is one of those comments, you know, in another 10 years, you're going to look back and, and just go like, what an idiot. Because I've, I've said the same thing over and over because you, you think it's about like playing a, a lick fast or something like that. And it's, boy, if you, if you just, ever sit down and pull up like Al Green on a good sound system, you go like, yeah, here's a dude who he ain't stressed about anything and it's effortless and it's, yeah, you might be able to sing those same notes, but there, there's, there's a journey behind that whole thing. And, and, uh, it, it's, it's, it's an interesting interplay though but a lot of that has to do with just developing your ear because it, sure. it's really it's really more about listening than it is about um almost anything you know yeah i remember thinking back in the day you know 
a great drummer was someone who knew how to play around the tempos and like displace the time and like do all these crazy fills, you know, and how much, how many chops a drummer has, how good he was. And the older I got, the realized is the exact opposite of that. Um, when you can really mark how good of a drummer uh, someone is by how well they play something very simple. Yeah. Um, and, and it's the nuance and a lot of people can't, wouldn't be able to hear the difference. Yeah. Um, but it is something that I wound up discovering with Darren as Darren was discovering it as, as well, because in the beginning it was all about just breaking stuff and just playing crazy. (laughs) Um, but yeah, it's amazing how those nuances over time, it's something that your ear has to develop to be, even be able to catch and, you know, what's the relationship between how hard you're hitting the kick with the snare and just playing a boom, boom, you know, and how you just kind of, what velocity you're kind of just hitting the hi-hat at, how you get the drums to sing when you know how hard or how soft to hit them, Yeah. you know, and the tone, you know, everything is controlled by feel and touch. And, um, and that is something that just comes with years and just learning, um, and doing it over and over. But yeah, I'll I'll always take that person who can, you know, just really knows how to play something really simple really well. Yeah. Um, and for a young musician that can be coming out, it's like, oh, I can play something simple. It's boom. Yeah. All right, so I'm as great as everyone yeah. else. But it's like, uh Yeah. <laughs> don't hear it yet. That's nope. okay. Yeah. It's okay. It will come. Speaking of drums, back in your days in the 90s when you were doing a lot of stuff with interesting groups of Christians on the road and stuff. Um, <laughs> did you ever come across a prophetic drummer guy named... Uh, oh, yeah. Mark- With the 40-piece kit? <laughs> yeah. What was his name? <laughs> Tell me it the- was Mark Temperato. Yes. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what got me thinking about this dude the other day, but I remember like before I became a Christian, my mom actually sent me a cassette recording of this guy sharing his testimony and doing drums and... You know, he had delays on him and stuff. So, doo, 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 right. You know, and 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 she, you know, and I was not a Christian at the time, and she sent this thing to me, and I was like, I I don't know what I thought about it, um, but <laughs> I I I ended up looking him up. I was like, whatever happened to that guy? Because there was actually a church over here on the North Shore at one point where he was doing like a extended revival thing, wow. and then he he tells him he's like, you know if revival's going to happen, God wants us to buy this big gong. <laughs> and, and I think yes. if, if I get this I want right, that t-shirt. Yes. That should be at his merch stand. <laughs> <It's> so <laughs> if revival's going to happen, we need to buy a gong. And, like and, and here's the price tag. It was something, um, and I'm sure there's probably somebody that's going to listen to this and actually correct me on the actual items. But as far as I can remember it, it was something like in the neighborhood of like twenty five, twenty eight thousand dollars. <laughs> of course, because revival's not going to happen for two hundred. A two hundred dollar gong? You kidding me? So this dude, like for for weeks of this revival, like that was part, you know, a regular part of like you know we need to give to this project so I can buy this. It's going to be the Guinness Book of World Records largest gong ever made. <laughs> so Spinal Tap. <laughs> imagine the demons were going to drive out of this place. Yeah, so he gets the money after a couple of months wow. of this. From, and it's a little church, a little bitty what church. What is going on? And, uh, and, and then 
the way I heard it from one person who was actually there when they did the hitting of the gong, you know, because it's like you got to imagine like the the you know talk about finishing anxiety, like this this thing better work. <laughs> and so they get to the point where like everything has been leading up for months, you know, because not only did they have to raise the money, but then they had it like probably handcrafted in Istanbul or something. I don't know, or like Constantinople. Is it, is it? Yeah, Istanbul. No, what's well, the modern city? The modern city. Yeah, sorry. Where they they make the symbols anyway? He probably had to get it made, and so then it's it, it was probably like at least half a year before this process is finished, and then they did the the service. So this is a custom made gong. Oh yeah, because oh, yeah, you just don't buy one of these. Yeah. Things. It was it was huge. It was like I don't know six eight feet in diameter. Oh my god! And so they they had it mounted up there, and then he goes and hits it, and then the person I talked to said it kind of creeped me out. It made me nauseous, like the sound <laughs> from it. <laughs> so it was like this this huge build up for months and months, and then it was just kind of like buyer's remorse, but nobody was you know vocalized it in the service. Like everybody's like you know kind of, but then that was. Uh, you know, everything started kind of tapering off after that, like a yeah, gong sound. That, that just does not seem like a winning formula for your evangelistic career. Like, <laughs> I don't know how he made it that far when I think about it. You know, I remember the sound bite, the, the marketing plug at the time when this guy was coming to church was, is that he was taking people's heads, putting them in their drums, if they were deaf, and he'd hit the drum and all of a sudden their ear... They really? Hear. Like miracles were happening when he stuck wow. people's head in their drum. And it was like, oh, awesome. Well, we're going to go to this revival yeah. meeting. And yeah, I guess you got to always find that angle. I don't know. And I guess this one now, he's graduated to the $25,000. Yeah. Gun. And apparently, this is weird, know, man. Is I this look- a con job? What is going on? <laughs> I don't know. Like, I was looking him up on Facebook. He's still doing his thing. Wow. I think he's got a little church up in. Arkansas or something, and it's and I, I saw a clip like, and the drum takes up half the drums, take up half the room. Like he's got the, like he's wow. like, I'm gonna take whatever Neil Pert did, and I'm gonna do it times twenty. You know, I mean it's, wow. it's uh yeah it's 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 go go YouTube it. It's uh it's a little little fun to okay see Mark Temperata yeah gosh I haven't <laughs> heard that name in forever that's great yeah so so but you. you so before Ursu, you did some, uh, if you're not too, you know, what what was that? So you spent a couple of years on the road with some... Oh, Donnie and Reba. Donnie and Reba Rambo. Yeah, that's that's wound up, that's how I met Darren, actually. Really? I, I interned with Donnie and Reba for a year. And traveled with them across this great land. Leading worship, kind meetings. of. Yeah. Well, you know, they were an evangelistic team. Someone described their music once as country disco. Which I guess I never <laughs> thought of it like that, but it kind of was. <laughs> um, and you know, your and next they, would album. Do ex- they would do. They would do. I smell money. That is a, yeah, that is a neglected genre. Uh, we need to give it some love. Yeah. And they'd go around doing these extended revival meetings, and so. So when they came to our church, you know, usually they were looking for like whoever the young talent was, and they'd bring them out on the road and try to just I don't know give them a, a chance to be exposed to ministry and the traveling music ministry and what all that was. And, and so, yeah, I essentially, you know, played backup keyboards or bass in their band, um, washed their bus 
and and then every now <laughs> like and then they let kid, us do huh? a special song for like the offering, you know. Wow. And then that's where we started because Adam was out there with me as well, the other oh, guy yeah. from Earthsuit, and that's when we started writing songs for Earthsuit to like perform. Um, and things were getting started during that time we were interning. Yeah. Um, and we went to this little church in Springfield, Missouri, which was where uh, Darren and Greg Hill were part of the youth group. And we did a 10-week revival there. We were there for 10 weeks. Dang, dude. And um, you didn't even have a gong. And we didn't need a gong. Dang. That's right. We're just, just country disco will go a long way. <laughs> In Missouri. Uh, <laughs> you got to know your audience. That's right. Um, and Darren at the time was 15. Greg was like 16, 17. And I remember, yeah, we just became friends. And I remember telling him, if we ever start a band, you got to move to New Orleans. And we're going to try to make this happen. You know, we're starting this little Earth suit thing. I don't know. And Darren was like, yeah, as soon as I graduate high school, I'm coming to New Orleans. <laughs> Greg, too. And, and that's what wound up happening. After that year we were with Donnie Reba, me and Adam went back to New Orleans. And we started trying to figure out how we're going to do a band. We had made a bunch of demos. We had this little Headless Clown CD we made while we were... That's what we called it, the Headless Clown CD. While we were out there Dude, uh, with Donnie and Reba. I want a copy. The Headless Clown? Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm sure I have a bunch in storage somewhere. <laughs> Give me the cassette I'll, since I gave you a cassette. <laughs> yeah, that's so great, too. The cassettes, man. Collectorism. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's what wanted. Greg moved to New Orleans right away, uh, and he was the original guitar player yeah. for Earthsuit. Um, and then Greg realized that musically it was not what he wanted because we were we were you know if you've heard earth suit we were a bit all over the place yeah and you know what greg was that good friend musician with good taste trying to tell us guys you got to make some decisions yeah you know you can't you, this is just weird all this stuff we're trying to put together in one band and um so greg tapped out rightfully so and um and and Dave uh, came in to play guitar with us, um, and we got that hour system. And then Greg came back when we started Mute yeah. Math. He's like, "All right, yeah. we had to work out some things. <laughs> like, All right, now it's cool, guys. Now, yeah, you're yeah. on to something." Um, but yeah, that's where it started. Yeah. Uh, I remember that there's so many good lessons that I learned um, when we were doing that internship. I remember. The thing Donnie used to get on me, you know, I was just a, a spoiled little church kid. You know, I, I hadn't really done much except be a musician. And he's just trying to teach me more about life. And he used to always get on me about not taking the initiative. It's like, why do I got to tell you to go set this stuff up or like clean up in the bus or wh whatever? Just being on the road. It's like, just do it. Or if you see like I need something done, get it done. And so I remember one day, me and Adam decided, you know, we're going to take some initiative today, and we're going to just go wash the bus for Donnie. You know, he's going to love that, because he always gets on us about how the bus is dirty, we need to do it. And it's a big task to wash a bus. Yeah. Usually take that to a place to have it done. <laughs> but no, you go out there with your hose, your buckets, your ladders, you get all over the ladders, place. And just, yeah. it's, a, it's a whole day thing. Me and Adam did it. And we're so proud. And Donnie came back uh, later that evening. And we watched him. He saw the bus and he came in. He, he called me and Adam into the room. And he said, um, 
It looks horrible. Come out here. And he then brought us out to different parts of the bus. Well, we missed big spots <laughs> and just dirt streaks still out. We didn't do a very good job. And he said, if you're not going to do the job right, don't do it at all. Now wash it again. And we were so <laughs> upset because he didn't appreciate the 95% of the bus that was clean. <laughs> yeah. But what a great life lesson that what was. What a great that lesson. I've, that I've taken. It's like, yeah, there's certain things that if you're not going to go all the way, 100% yeah. and do it right, it's, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't, it's still a dirty totally. bus. Totally. Um. And so as we were upset washing the bus for the second time, uh, it started to click that, oh, I think we're learning something, um, even though I hated Donnie at the time. But he was so right. Yeah. He, was a, he was a great father figure for me and Adam, which we needed. Um, Same thing happened with Karate Kid and Mr. Miyagi. <laughs> <laughs> he was angry That's at where first, he got it from. Then he realized, this is it. <laughs> I saw the movie, Donnie. I'm on to you. <laughs> which... Is is it kind of, does it feel like you that things have kind of come full circle because I, I, I know um, in this last year or so, y'all y'all went on the road with 21 Pilots, who was a bunch of kids in a youth group that were math fans. Is it, is it feel something. like this, like here you were, somebody kind of, you know, influenced you, helped you, you know, rather directly or indirectly, but you know, helped you get down the road. And then here you are, these kids who are blowing up right now, uh, nationally, that turns out that like y'all were a big influence on their life in youth group. How cool is that? Yeah, no, I mean, it's always interesting to see how, um, you know, how, how things impact along the way. And, um, no, I was, I was really honored and humbled when we met the 21 pilots guys. And they said, I used to come to the mute math shows, uh, back in the day, it was something that they really liked to do and they were inspired by. And so, yeah, whenever, I guess you, it's funny, you just never know who's in the audience sometimes. Yeah. Um, you know, I remember um, when we got a demo CD um, from this guy, Isom Innes, after a show in Boston. And uh, Isom went on to be in Foster the People. Oh wow! And uh, so we had a lot of mutual friends in that band. But yeah, that was um, every now and then you're going to run into. You just next yeah. year they're going to be taking over music. You know, you just never know. Um, so that's yeah, it's an interesting part of it. Uh, uh, Donnie, Donnie was Donnie was hard. Donnie was hard on us, but it was something that we we needed yeah. uh, for the time. I think it helped us find our place. Um, he used to really talk down about Christian entertainment. And it was like, if you're going to, if you're going to serve the church, you need to serve the church. Like you, you don't go do that DC talk crap. You know, you're here to learn how to. Wow. And, um, I'm like DC talk crap. I'm not sure we're on the same page. Donnie. <laughs> um, and um, by the way, I was a huge, I mean, Jesus freak fan. Oh yeah. All right, we're gonna. All right, I gotta. I gotta segue. Confessions. To yeah, we're going to the DC talk world now. <laughs> Which, by the way, what was the game that we played on the other night? When we were all hanging out. Um, it was horribly inappropriate. I can't. remember. It was a horribly name. inappropriate adult game. Uh, but what was interesting is our def our default 
answer for a lot of those was just Toby Mac. Toby Mac. If you didn't, if you didn't really I, yeah, know right. what to say, um, <laughs> just say Toby Mac. Yes. Um, the first, the first time I saw DC's Hawk live was the Free at Last tour, and they came to St. Bernard Civic Center. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible. Is, it, is that what on there? Oh, don't you make fun of them? I'm, I'm not. I, I'm, I'm, I'm no. I, I was paying I'll turn homage. Show I was paying. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, they were doing things like that at the time. No, you're right. And um, I will still say that the Jesus Freak album to this day is is one of the greatest albums to come oh, out yeah. in the '90s. It was a really fantastic yeah. album. Um, but yeah, at the the free at last time was was kind of them trying. I, I think yeah. finding their way, and yeah. but it was really great. I mean, yeah. they were. And so I went to go see that, and so I signed up to help set up the show, so I could get in for free. So I'm there. Oh, your phone's right here. Oh, you were. Oh, right. Looking there. for that? Sorry, okay. I muted it here, and it's coming through my computer. Oh, it's all good. Yeah, yeah. Is it Toby? It, it's like he's like somebody know. talking about me over there yeah yeah dude again again <laughs> um and i remember i was helping carry the lights in doing a poor job and kevin max is walking in to go to the dressing room oh. right behind me um have i told you this story i don't think so okay so i dropped the lights because i freak out because it's kevin max and i'm a fan <laughs> and I immediately grabbed him for some reason and started noogieing him in front of everybody, all the other crew guys that were there. And I just went, look, everybody, it's K-Max. And I'm just grabbing him. I got him in a headlock and I'm noogieing him. Just nervous energy, but I'm meeting someone that I admired. And he pushed me off. And he looked at me like, dude, thanks. And then he, and he walked away and he looked at me like I was a straight up creep. And I remember in that moment feeling like, oh no, I'm that guy. What did I do? I lost myself in the presence of that cute little vocal legend. And I embarrassed myself in front of Kevin. And um, all the other guys were like, yeah, dude, way to go. Way to play that smooth. Yeah. And uh, I was so embarrassed. But I got into the show that night, saw Free, and um, Free at last. It was a good show. They had dancers on that tour and everything. and. And you're one of probably only a handful full of people that can say they gave K-Max noogies. It's true. I learned a, an important lesson. Um, and, you know, so to this day when I meet people that I admire, you know, it's like, dude, hands down, straight up, just just smile, be polite. That's it. Uh, don't get all crazy. But yeah, we call that at this point um, <laughs> noogie suppression level. Um, so you just you just got to... Like Stevie Wonder, the noogie suppression level is really high. Oh, yeah. Um, and I, I've run into him, and I saw him. It was going into a restaurant just accidentally out in L.A., and all I did was turn around and run the other way because, yeah. because I knew this is going nowhere good. He's not going to be able to see this, but it's going to be uh, embarrassing. Um, I was so looking forward to to seeing Stevie Wonder two years ago at Jazz Fest, and Doctor John was right before him. And I'd never seen, you know, all these years down here, I'd never actually seen Doctor John live. So I'm excited. I'm out there in front of the Acura stage. Doctor John goes on, and this like horrendous storm starts blowing in, 
and I'm, I mean, I've got my little chair with, with like a $2 poncho, you know, pretty right. much a, a, you know, garbage bag. And dude, it, it's like a biblical, like coming down in torrents so bad that the band keeps playing on stage, but the, the rain was blowing sideways to the point where you could see like the Steinway grand piano up there is like starting to get wet. The, you, the drummer who's on a platform higher back from everybody, he'd hit his cymbals and waters is coming off and stuff. And so finally they, they cut Dr. John's set short and get everybody off. And then boom, the power goes out. And then the, the, the stuff starts coming back on the screens, but it's all like messed up. And, and so they cancel Stevie Wonder but I'm sitting out there for an hour and a half under this deluge. I mean, it was it was terrifying. Like you don't realize how terrifying the weather is down here until like you're like you have to sit like there's nowhere to go. You can't do anything. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so so I'll, you weren't trying to exit anywhere. Well, the, the, there's just no use. Like I mean, and I mean honestly, it could be a ten minute rain shower. Okay. You know, you don't gotcha. know. Okay. But it's, I mean, so you just you got a hundred thousand oh people out there. I mean, where are you going to go anyway? Like, right. if you get, you know, I'm you can't get into any of the tents because everybody with any sense is already there. So right. it's like, yeah. So it was. Uh, but I heard that later that evening he w- ended up going to Stevie Wonder did an impromptu thing at uh, some jazz guys club, you know, really? in New Orleans, and uh, which would have been a cool way to see him, but. Yeah. So you no know Stevie Wonder for no you. No Stevie Wonder for me. So I was bummed. Man, yeah. that is a bummer. But at least I got to sit in the rain for an hour and a half. <laughs> I haven't done that before. So yeah, jazz fest can be brutal. So um, yeah, y'all y'all played there, Mute Math. We did one year, um, and yeah, it was the infamous year where I fell into the the horse mud, as we'll say. Um, cause yeah, I did the inflatable mattress thing. And so I'm crowd surfing on the inflatable mattress oh, and yeah. then my, my, uh, dismount went awry and, um, yeah, just wipe, I wiped out the mud. It had rained crazy the day before we played. Oh, dude. And so, yeah, the mud was pretty ripe. It smelled. Um, and yeah, that, that was what I remembered from our jazz fest. And then Phoenix played right after it, which was really great. Oh, it was yeah. a good year. Yeah. Um, Francis Ford Coppola was there. Oh, wow. Um, his wife is married. I mean, I'm sorry. Sophia Coppola, his daughter, is yeah. married to the lead singer of Phoenix. Um, but yeah, no, that was... You didn't give her noogies, though. No no, no noogies. I'd learned my lesson at That's that good. point. That's good. Yeah. I, you got to know things about yourself. <laughs> you got to know your limits. Um, yeah, I've I've had no incidents like that anymore but yeah and then jazz you know i was thinking about i remember i went back to jazz fest not too long ago and i brought my daughter and we went to the kids tent yeah. um you know we had, we were taking a break we went to the kids tent and something happened i remember they were they were singing the itsy bitsy spider it was a, it was a yeah. kids band up there and all of a sudden um the the guitar player comes up to the microphone kicks the lead singer off the microphone and starts yelling at someone in the front row to get the F out of there and yelling it into the microphone. And so, and there's a probably about, you know, some parents with kids, it's, it's maybe like 20 kids. 
And this dude is yelling at some yeah. dude in straight up Fugazi punk rock style <laughs> and telling him, I will kick your ass. You get out of here. And it was awesome. All of a sudden, all the parents are covering their kids' ears and these dudes are having an altercation in the kids' tent. Um, wow. Come to find out, I guess the dude was sleeping with his wife and he decided he was going to come to the, the, to the performance. <laughs> and I, I don't know what it was. Oh my goodness. But there was a lot of drama going on. Wow. Um, didn't see that coming when we no. went to the kids' tent for a little itsy bitsy spider song. Dang. Wow. That's a trip. Yeah. Just never know at Jazz Fest. Yeah, that's, you I'm, never know with New Orleans, period. Or New Orleans, New Orleans that's is, what it's going to happen. I remember when we used to do the Cafe Joel gigs. So this was this was back before anything uh, with either one of us. And it was you, me, and Pat Alvarez and Joel on drums? Maybe. I don't remember. But I remember there was some... So this, this was a Christian... For those who are listening, this was a Christian outreach coffee hangout spot cafe but it was upstairs from a topless bar called big daddy's i think yeah (laughs) (laughs) right in the middle of the french quarter on bourbon street and and we were gonna we're gonna go make music and people were gonna hear it's like the drummer guy they're gonna hear the sound of our awesomeness and they're just gonna come to jesus and um but we saw, I remember Halloween, we played there Halloween one night, and I see some some dude with a tight miniskirt and the, a big old beard. <laughs> and I'm like, but I, I'm like, I I don't know if this is a costume or if this is the person's real right. attire, because this is just, it's Bourbon Street, New Orleans. Yeah. yeah. That was an interesting time. Though. Yeah. It felt like yesterday we were meant to stay Living like nothing wrong could happen I still recall the time you were on my mind When I realized I need you in every second Thinking I should know how it's gotta go Cause nothing is made to last forever Hardly moving on, the proof is in the song Remembering how I used to feel like I used to want to. I used to be alright. I used to love you. I used to Allowed to curse, yeah. Actually, yeah, I, you I can curse. Was, yeah, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great segue. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember, and you know, I grew up in in a very sterile, overtly religious environment. You know, we're yeah. we're gonna charge hell with a water pistol, and we're gonna win. You know, from there. Yeah. And you know, and it was right after that cafe Joel time. That I went and interned with Donnie and Rita. Yeah. Um, and they brought me out and were trying to teach me the ways of 
what happens in traveling. And so we used to, every day he'd want to work out. Donnie would take us to go play racquetball. We'd go to the YMCA, wherever the yeah. local, and, you know, we try to get a, a regiment going on. And Donnie loved to play racquetball. And, I, and you know, I was usually his partner in that, and we'd be playing. And, you know, if, at the, the time, the Christian F word was flip. That's what I was saying. <laughs> I don't know if you, I used to say that a lot. I don't know if you remember. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, I'd miss a shot. Go, oh, flip, flip. Um, and I remember Donnie stopped the game one day. I was saying it a lot. I was really frustrated. <laughs> I was flipping out. Um, and he said, Paul, you're not fooling anyone. He had a very grovelly yeah. voice, <laughs> as you need for a country disco. Paul, you're not fooling everyone. This is ridiculous. You're just saying flip because you don't have the balls to say fuck. <laughs> if you're going to say it, just say fuck for fuck's sake. <laughs> and he was solely right. And from that day, I stopped saying that. Um, he set me free. Um, mm. And I wasn't expecting that to be a, a lesson no. that Donnie was going to teach me. You wouldn't. But yeah, it's like, come on, dude. You don't, you don't need to do the Christian curse word thing. Come on. Oh. Here's a final straw to take a stride In a right direction I can hardly see the sky Covering this lonely path Nothing's built to last I can almost say So let's talk about some current stuff. Uh, I, I was a little late to the party on the Play Dead album. Uh, Come back. Was that September, October? Yeah. Man, that's a great album. Thank you. That's a great album. I, I really think uh, I, I, I was even listening to it today before he got here. Like it, it really just even in your, your whole progression as a, as a songwriter, musician, everything, it's it's just it just keeps coming together. And I think, I, I think this might be my favorite mute math album. Thank um, you. it's, uh, what was the whole, <coughs> tell, tell, tell me about that whole thing and the songwriting and the approach on it and how y'all got that together. If there's anything interesting. Yeah. I mean, the song, I mean, all of them was a process vitals and play dead. Those are our last two albums. And all of those are pretty much from the same school of thought, which was as all the guys in the band, we were becoming parents. 
Mm-hmm. Um, this was over the course of five years. Um, when we came off the road from Odd Soul, we just went into throwing ourselves into doing a ton of writing and trying to figure out how to be parents and, and dads. And now, you know, we're having kids. And Roy had... Roy has been a father for the longest. Uh, he started extending, you know, his family was, we were all having kids at the same time. And so we're writing a lot about that. And we were also at that crest of life. We were watching a lot of loved ones in our family die. And it was just this changing of the guard aspect of life that was happening. And so it was a lot to write about. There was a lot to observe. And so there was a lot of songs that we wrote that wound up on Play Dead that we wrote before Vitals even. It was all just coming from the same pool of inspiration. But when we put out Vitals, we wanted a particular sound, vibe yeah. that we were going for. We were making decisions. Yeah. That's what we were trying to do, right? We were growing up as artists a bit. And um, and so Vitals was what it was. It was a little more electronic-driven, groove-driven. Um, and then Play Dead... We weren't sure what we were going to do after Vitals, but we realized that there was a lot of songs that we had still on the shelf from Vitals that now we knew what to do with. Like we had to go through the Vitals experience and tour it. And um, there were some songs like um, <clears throat> like Hit Parade, Pixie Oaks, uh, Stroll On, even Nuisance. These were all songs that were started during the Vitals, but I only wrote like, halfway and I got stuck I didn't know how to finish it or I wasn't extremely happy with the lyrics they're all placeholder feeling so we put it on the shelf and then all of a sudden it felt like the light bulb went on and you know it was in the past two years that I felt like oh I know what to do with this song now I know and a lot of the guys felt that way so we all took a handful of songs each of us and we just began to just develop them and that's what Play Dead became. And then we 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 really did a lot of that on our own, remotely, yeah. all the guys. And then after we got the songs to a certain place, then we all got together in Nashville for about three or four days and tracked extra stuff that we needed. And then we went back and mixed it. It, it came together really, I guess, quickly in comparison to a lot of the other albums we've done. Um, but we kind of knew what we wanted. And I think as a band, we had all kind of congealed more and knew what the mute math sound should be in that moment. Yeah. So that was play dead. And I'm really proud of it. Um, so thank you for saying that we, at the time we were finishing it, we didn't realize it was going to be our last one as that form of mute math. Um, so it became a bit more poetic than we had even thought. And, but that was it. And so at, at this point, the Mute Math chapter has been, the whole Mute Math thing is just put on the shelf right now. Yeah. And so um, I'm proud of it. It was a good five album run that we had. Yeah. And I think uh, I think this is a, if you have to go out on one, it's a, it's a great, because I think I, to me, this album, it's it's definitely got your you you have a pop sensibility in the way that you seem to construct your songs like you you know you do I, I can hear the 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 confines you put on your songwriting because you you want it to fit into this kind of format but it's interesting because it's like you you have that but the songs stretch out quite a bit too and so there's there's uh, I I felt like even when I was listening to it this morning 
you know, something that you, that I don't seem to hear as much these days is, is music that really tends to take you on a journey, you know, particularly, um, particularly when you get to, you know, more popular music, it's, it's usually focused so much on, on singles and ideas, but, but I, I, I noticed that, that even on these songs, it's like, they kind of take you one place and then take you somewhere else. And, and there's, uh, I don't know. It seems like they stretch out a little bit and and kind of explore some things, and so they keep you keep you interesting in and in, interested in a way that um, that I don't hear a lot lately. So yeah, I, th- I think it's cool, and I, th- I think even the the blending of stuff, you know, from the the rock and the R and B and the it's like a, it's, it's it's great. It doesn't sound schizophrenic or anything. It sounds it's, it's you know kind of going back to everything, kind of coalescing and really being coherent so I, I think it's that's great man thank you yeah no it's it's fun to mess with the formula and, and probably even essential i mean yeah. the formula has to be messed with in order yeah. for anything to get good um and it's just you know we wouldn't have been able to make play dead even five years ago because we we wouldn't have had the musical i guess taste or yeah. or, or or even know how to pull it off production yeah. wise and you know, you just learn things every year you make music. And um, we got to a place where it felt like, oh, we know how to put the pieces of the puzzle together now for Play Dead. And even though there are things that maybe shouldn't go together, I think we've learned how to make those things work yeah. and feel cohesive. So I'm glad you enjoyed that part of yeah. it because it was certainly intentional. So do you write all the lyrics for the songs? Is that something mm-hmm. you do? Okay. Yeah. So what? what is... Uh... I guess with the last two albums, kind of lyrically, what are the things that you thematically kind of find yourself kind of writing? Is, is it is it a process of like you hear the music and the music kind of inspires you to lyrics or do you have like you keep a notebook of just kind of lyrical ideas that you write down and then or is it both and? <laughs> uh, it, it's both. And I have never sat down and said, I want to write a song about whatever. Yeah. And have successfully done so. Right. Um, what does happen a lot is, oh man, I want to write a song about this, and I just have to put it away. And then months later, years later, maybe even a week later, you'll hear the music, and subconsciously it comes Boom. out. Yeah. I remember. I remember, and to answer your question, a lot of life and death issues. Yeah. Okay. I, I yeah. think of what is sure. run through the past two albums. Um, I remember when my aunt, who was like a second mother to me, passed, and um, the the doctor called us. She's about to go. You buy, you guys want to say goodbye. My mom, everyone's there. We're all hysterical, frantic. Um, it was very sudden, and we went into the hospital room. They were going to do an emergency surgery, but the odds were she was not going to make it through the surgery. And we all went in to tell her possibly goodbye. For the most part, it was going to be goodbye. And I remember in that moment, it was the first time I had a chance to do that since I've been alive with someone I really loved and cared about. And I remember being very taken back with how little I had to say of substance. Like, I sound like a buffoon. I have nothing great to say. It's just the, you're the greatest aunt ever and I I love you. And and, which was the truth and was on it. But it was so uninspired. It was so like, these are the last words I'm telling someone that I've known my whole life who meant everything to me. That's all I got to say. And so I remember walking uh, and, you know, and she passed that night 
my family was there. We consoled each other, and I, I drove home tearfully thinking, reflecting on that exchange that I had had, thinking about, I, I need to write something, a song that s- says what I couldn't say. I didn't know what yeah. to say in that moment, and so I want to do that. We were in the middle of writing Vitals and Play Dead, and every song idea that would come up, every musical idea I'd hear, I'm like, can I write about it? What is it going to be? Yeah. About it? Yeah. And I had to just put that out of my mind. Um, I did wind up writing a song about that, which I'm extremely proud of and still have never released. Um, but it's one that's going to definitely be on my next project, whatever that is. Yeah. Um, but the thing that it's showed me, the whole experience, is that you compartmentalize all these experiences um, that are going to one day find its way into a song. It's hard to consciously control when that happens. Yeah. Um, but that to me is is the the beauty of the whole art form and, and getting to write songs. Yeah. Um, and and I love it. So but a lot of those type of examples were happening through Vitals and Play Dead. Um, a lot of it was the birth of my daughter, you know, yeah. Hit Parade had a lot to do with that. The the death of my grandfather meant a lot to me. Um, wrestling with ideas of religion, what I've been taught to believe, what do I really believe, yeah. and um, yeah, that's 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 what those two albums were about. Yeah. So, where does what does spirituality? What is because I mean, obviously, that's been I mean a, a huge part of the journey, and I know uh, mute math was never intentionally started as a Christian band, but because of our suit and stuff, y'all probably there's a at least a lot of your initial following probably came from the same kind of people that were listening to Christian rock and stuff. Um, but I, I know you've you've kind of had to wrestle through stuff as we all do. Um, what, what is what does your faith look like right now? What does spirituality look like uh, to you? Well, yeah, and the mute math, it's not like we... It, it's such a tricky thing because, yeah. you know, yes, we didn't view ourselves as a Christian band because we didn't want to be forced to, I guess, produce a certain type of song. Yeah. Um, but where the confusion came in is because... I still wanted to afford myself the freedom to chase any kind of song. Right. And being true to how I grew up and and what I was passionate about, I needed to be able to write and wrestle with issues of faith and spirituality yeah. and what do I believe and um and there are moments where throughout the journey where I felt like I really believed it. This is God is so real to me. And other moments where it's like, there's no such thing as God. Yeah. And I wanted to be able to document that. And I did through the Mute Math experience um, and the songs that we wrote. I mean, if there's one thing I'm really proud of with Mute Math songs is that we were writing exactly what we were feeling in that moment. Yeah. And we took the snapshot of it for those records. Um, and... You know, and it's and it has. It's been a journey. I mean, we started Mute Math was in my late twenties. I mean, all the way up until forty. I mean, there's a there's a big yeah, arc a of, of life that happens in all of that. Um, and I think there was a time, certainly, in my early thirties, where I was probably at my my highest level of doubt on the whole thing. And um, 
wrote a lot of songs about that, especially on Armistice. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Odd Soul became an album about me and Darren really wanting to tell stories autobiographically about growing up in the church, yeah. about growing up how we did. And, and we both... It's interesting. He grew up in Springfield, Missouri. I grew up in New Orleans, but it was very much the same scene. Yeah. The, the very charismatic, evangelical 90s church scene, um, which is a certain thing. And, you know, I always feel like I have a great launch pad for a relationship with someone when we've shared that. When I meet someone who I've never met before, but I know that they know what it was like to feel like they had to drag three friends to a Newsboys concert, yeah. we immediately hit the ground running in our relationship. And there's a lot of those folks out there. Yeah, exactly. Is, is such it's such a specific part of culture that, yeah. that was happening and it still kind of happens to a degree now sure. but especially in the 90s when at that particular moment um, early 2000s and stuff like that anyway we wanted to write about that that's what Odd Soul became a lot about it's like who are we what what did we think we were going to become what we were supposed to do with our lives what are we doing now how do we view it all um and that was the one album where Darren did write some lyrics. I mean, this was some. And I I opened it up with him, and he came. Yeah. And we had a lot of fun writing that one together. Um, and then we became parents. Wow. And then that just kind of shifted a lot. You know, that's probably when my doubt level began. You know, I think there's something about having a kid that really grounds you. Yeah. Um. And I think things that. I became jaded about uh, with, you know, how I viewed the church and what it was all about. Um, I didn't see it so negatively anymore. I began yeah. to really see more of the good of it um, and the, the parts of my life that I was really grateful for because of it. Yeah. Um, the people that I knew, the, the community that I found myself in, the stories I was able to share, be able to have those newsboy stories, yeah. the stories of Noogie and Kevin Max yeah. and... Um, answering weird altar calls, um, <laughs> you know. It, you know, I, I tell this story a, a bunch. I, I remember there was one time I had to get uh, a mole removed off my butt, um, and I went to this dermatologist <laughs> um, who was a Christian. I guess someone at church knew who he was, and you know, and he also knew I went to church and was the led worship from time to time. And, but he was going to operate on my butt. And 
it was it was weird and i remember um it was time for the procedure and so i had to take my pants down i i was laying you know on on my face and for some reason he brought in a bunch of nurses uh that he was going to teach a class on how to remove a mole and i'm in my late 20s i guess and this was extremely uncomfortable very yeah. awkward and if it couldn't have got any more awkward, the dermatologist felt the need to pray over the procedure before we get started. <laughs> so he has all the nurses gathered around me with my little white butt up in the air, hold hands, and me too. And so I have to hold hands. I'm laying on my on face. You? They did not, thank God. <laughs> but we're all in a prayer circle around my butt. Oh, wow. And we're praying. Uh, to God that the procedure goes well. Strangely enough, that's not the weirdest prayer circle I've ever been in. Oh, I know. <laughs> of course, I'm sure you've been in those as well. Yeah. But those are great. <laughs> yeah. Those are great specific memories <laughs> and things that you can only share with people who know that culture. Yeah. Um, and I think I began to become really appreciative of the older I got. And I think I've still not found the words on how to explain one time to my daughter yet. Um, but it's, it's, it's kind of fun. Yeah. Plenty of new wine. People of the rock come and rock one time. Like, what were we mm -hmm. thinking? What were we talking about? But you know what? <laughs> we were just putting into words what we knew. Yeah. The revival services we were going yeah. to. And as, as weird as they were. Yeah. It was good times. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I was talking with a friend last night, just, you know, when you look at oftentimes at these shows like The Voice or American Idol, it's, I, I actually wrote an article for an online blog, uh, probably about 10 years ago on this phenomenon. Cause I noticed like one season of American Idol, like 10 of the 12 finalists were kids who grew up in church and that's how they got their experience playing sure. music. Sure. And, um, just noticing like, if if you're a young person and you want to play with a band, church is like one of the best places to do it now. I mean, like that's actually become the place where chances are, if you're going to play music as a with a band as a 14, 15, 16 year old, it's going to be in a church because right. there's just no other venue right. for that. And uh, it it is it is interesting for all the all the baggage I've had with evangelical Christianity over my life that I have been kind of going through that sifting a lot, you know, lately too, just that, yeah, I experienced some horrible stuff, some stuff that was cult-like and some stuff that has given me issues in my life for, uh, uh, for many years. But I do see that, that in the midst of it all, there's actually some, some really, really good things to, to bring forward. And I, I know, I know even in my life, uh, I mean, particularly the last few years, just I've been wrestling intensely with faith myself, which is an odd thing to do when you're a pastor because people kind of expect you to have answers and, right. and not <laughs> more questions. And sometimes I feel, uh, <laughs> I had one lady come to my church one time few years ago she had been a, like a missionary in in korea and she had shown up to something we're doing early and she goes you know 
I was wondering if I could talk with you. I'm, I'm struggling with doubts. And this was a week where this horrible dude up in like Cleveland, I think, had it turned out that he had kept three women in cages for a decade and sexually, right. I mean, I remember that. Yeah. and I was just, I was pretty, that, that was just, that really had shaken me up. And I just read that story right. and she goes, yeah, I'm, I'm struggling with doubts. I was like, you're struggling with doubts. I've grown up in a kind of Christianity that says if one of these women who was held in a cage for 10 years and multiply, you know, abused sexually over and over that if she happened to walk outside and get hit by a truck and she hadn't prayed the prayer, then she, what she's going to face from God is going to be worse. Right. And it'll never stop. Right. <laughs> and this poor lady, she's like, Oh shit. Like, like I was of no help, you know, and I, I've, but so I, I think there I've I've gone through that same kind of phase sometimes where it's like, well, just throw throw all the damn stuff out. But also realizing like at this point in my life, like, you know, in spite of all the crazy stuff, and there was lots of crazy, um, there's lots of things that I belief wise have sifted through, but but the actual a lot of the experiences were I don't know anywhere else that I could have experienced those things those ways, you know. So I, I am kind of grateful for that at this point. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it seems like we're still searching for the right terminology. Um, to think that, this, this is heresy, I'm sure, but to think that the Bible has the correct picture of how it completely is, I, I think is misleading. Yeah. I think the Bible is a good starting place. But for us to feel like we should just stop and not still be open to things we may not understand. Like there's still things yeah. to figure out and discover about who this God idea, what it is, how it yeah. interplays with humankind, the world we know. Um, I, I want to stay open to that. Yeah. Um, and it, it took a while for me to realize that it doesn't have to be all or nothing with um, what I was taught. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's like I got to give a middle finger to it all or I got to believe it right. word for word. Um, it's like, no, I, I, I think the older I've gotten to realize that, no, there's a healthier place I feel like I want to allow myself to go and, and that I, I want to allow even our kids to explore and understand and work off of what we've kind of maybe spastically have discovered over the years. And there's still some good in it. Yeah. Um, but man, I'm inspired by there's still so much more to yeah. uncover um, when it comes to spirituality and what this idea of God is. I think that's one of my frustrations with the, you know, like it's it's funny. Like I, I guess this is this is a sign of me kind of making peace with the Bible a little bit. I actually started a series on the old, you know, Genesis <laughs> a few weeks ago because I feel like I feel like I've come to a place where like I I feel like I don't have to look at it under this one framework that I've been taught to like you know we can look at this book in in maybe a different way and kind of see some new things so right some lady um texted me a, a lady in the church um that she had sent one of my messages to one of her friends and her friend was like well you know it sounds like he doesn't believe in biblical inerrancy and and all this and she's like well and I was on her on the church's website, and I didn't, you know, I saw in the statement of faith, there's nothing about biblical inerrancy. We've got the smallest statement of faith. 
Um, Why does that freak people out so much? I mean, I, I run into yeah. that all the time too. It's like people are really well. And there's a hardcore knee jerk reaction against that. There idea. really is. And she asked me, "What do you believe?" I said, "Well, I I believe that the Bible is inspired. Um, I believe it has authority for your life, but I don't believe it's inerrant because only God is inerrant. I mean, like." Like, this is a book that was written 1,500 years by multiple authors and uh, different kinds of things. I don't think it was... Why do we assume that it is like a uh, like a handbook with formulas for every situation? Or I To me, it's a much more compelling book when you just see it as this is the documentation of a whole lot of people who've experienced or, or tried to, to experience the divine. And this is how how they work through these things. And this is how they recorded it. Um, that there can be an inspiration that is um, descriptive rather than prescriptive. You know, like, like mm. it's, this is, this is what it looked like for these people 4,000 years ago, uh, making sense of things. Um, but just because that's, that was their answers as they wrestled through it doesn't mean that their answers are going to be the same for us in this completely different culture or that they were even asking the same questions. I, I've always loved science, you know, like I'm fascinated by science, yeah. kind of the way I think that a lot of people who don't play music are like, you know, probably some of the mute mass most rabid fans are people who don't play music, but they're just music fans. And so they, they probably can, they know more things about mute math than you do, you know, because they, they're into it. I, I kind of feel like that with, with science. Like, I don't understand it, but I'm like a fan. Like, I just love reading sure. physics and stuff like that. But, but one of the things I like about science is that there's always this sense of, there's always mi more mysteries to look after, you know? Right. You could spend your whole life as a scientist developing one theorem that becomes, that contributes to the knowledge, knowing that, in another 30 years or 100 years, the thing you spent your whole life pouring into is going to be overruled, and they're going to find out that there's a, a, a new way to understand it. Right. I, I do sometimes wish that when it came to God and the Bible that we kept a little bit more of that approach. But I think we tend to look at the Bible as this thing that that solves mysteries rather than is a window into mystery. Right. And... Well said, yeah. I, I think I think there's a sense that as I look at the Bible like that, I, I really do find like even a book like Genesis, like I mean, this ancient the most ancient of books, really does have some cool things to say. It's just not interested in answering a lot of the questions that that we've put on it and expected an an to answer because nobody was asking those questions back then. So Yeah. I wonder if it's just it's it's messing with a with a psychological safety net that um, you just need. You know, I remember when I was in religion class, uh, I went to Brother Martin, so it was a Catholic yeah. high school. Um, and I, however, you know, I was still in youth group at an evangelical church, and you know, and for the most part, it was all Bible believing sure. Christian religion, right? And I remember in religion class, my sophomore year, the religion teacher came in and he said, it was an all-boy school, and he said, all right, boys, uh, remember when your parents told you there's no such thing as Santa Claus? I was like, it's great. Uh, and he goes, he took the Bible no. and he threw it at the podium. He said, same thing. 
And everyone in the class went, whoa, what? what? You know, this is a Catholic school, yeah. you know, and, you know, every, if they were Catholic, they'd go to catechism class, you know, me, yeah. this was like, this is crazy. What is he talking about? And then the whole semester he spent going through all the Bible stories, explaining why and how. This is just a book of stories, guys. And we went through the class and everyone took the test, but no one in that class believed him even though he was saying yeah. it and spelling it out. And I was like, all right, whatever. Yeah, the, the Adam and Eve. No, it was, of course, Adam and Eve. And, you know, Bible. even though he's he was trying to prove yeah. why it wasn't, and this is just a story and comparing it to other literature. But I wasn't in a psychological state where I was ready to hear that. Yeah, I It didn't resonate with my life. It wasn't going to make me happier. It wasn't going to make me sleep better at night. This was a threat to my psychological safety, you know? And so I pushed it away. It's like I needed to believe that the Bible was the inerrant word of God in that moment as a teenager yeah. for my life to work. Sure. And then later on, I find myself in a different framework of life. And I, and I wonder if that's what happens. People go on certain journeys yeah. that brings them to a place where... Maybe now believing that thing that made them happy ten years ago is falling short right now. Yeah. Like it's not. It's there's something empty, and I, you got to figure out something else for the world to click for you. Um, and so yeah, I just wonder when certain people cross paths on that particular issue if if that's a part of the dynamic. Yeah, I think I think so much of it does have to do with it's just human development. Like, I mean. I think like most guys, like, and you're in your early twenties, you got to get some freaking rules, you know? I mean, you need yeah, sure. something to order your life, something sure. that can, you don't need gray. You don't need right. ambiguous, you know? Right. I mean, that, that's why the military is a great option for a lot of guys when they're 18, because it, it changes their life because they, they don't need like, <laughs> they, they need some hard, fast rules and then you do this and this happens. Right. And, and I think, I think, particularly for guys like it's, it's funny how many guys I see become Calvinist in their early twenties because Calvinist is, you know, this who's in, who's out and explains everything. Um, but, but you do, I think you get to by the time you get to your late twenties. It's, it's like, you realize what a dumbass you've been most of your twenties. Like every, that happens when you hit the round 30, you just got going, Oh my gosh, that guy five years ago, right. <laughs> he was such a, <laughs> he thought he knew everything and he didn't know anything. Right. And, and and there's no way that those same questions can't be then transferred to faith and all that. And that's a natural part of it. Um, and I think that's, that is kind of, I think if we just understood that there's going to be different times in your life where the scriptures hit you a different way and that's okay. The problem is we just say, no, it's, it's this own, it's only this one thing. And I, I think, I think particularly when you look at like the book of Genesis, it's like, you know, maybe the, the grace, greatest truths that actually exist in, in like the creation story, maybe they're best understood symbolically, you know, or maybe the best understanding is not looking at this as a, as a, a literal uh, description of reality a certain way maybe these are the stories that were passed down for centuries and centuries and the distilled truth for whatever worked for these people um and i would say god's in that in that process but this yeah. is how they put words to it but does this mean that that there was an actual literal talking serpent or, uh, 
I don't know. But what 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 would this symbolically stand for, or how how can we understand the distilled meaning of it? You know the way uh, because these these stories, the fact that they even still mean something to us, well, we ought to pay attention to that. You know, um, but yeah. Anyway, I, I I can go on and on, but uh, enough about me. But I I just yeah, I think that's uh, that. a it, it is you know my my wife she has like encyclopedia volumes of of journals that she writes on her spiritual journey, and it's uh. It's funny because to me, my journal, I don't journal, but I write songs. And, and I, it is funny even going through that Sound of Rain album because it's, it's much like your uh, Earthsuit album. A lot of revival language. And, the, and there's a lot of it that kind of makes me cringe. But then there's like, you know, I like that guy. I remember that guy and he makes me cringe right now. But he was sincere, you know, and he was sincerely going after it. And yeah. Uh, he didn't have a clue, um, but I, I accept it, and I'm glad I have that kind of documentation of those experiment uh, experiences in the in the process as well. So you know, and I, I wonder how much of the writers of the Bible might have been having those lyrical experiences. Yeah. I mean, if I was going to be judged in a thousand years from now on who I am or what the world was yeah. around me by just my lyrics, even if it didn't have music to go with it. Um, there's some of that that might be misleading. Yeah. Uh, there's some of that, you know, um, and, and that's okay. But, you know, if you understand the context, it's fine. Yeah. Um, when it's, when it's taken out of context, it can just, it can get, it can go off the rails, you know? And, you know, I've just seen that happen a lot when it comes to the Bible. Yeah. And, um, so in recent years, I've just been trying to find a healthy yeah. way to look at it. It's obviously an important book for a lot of reasons. Yeah. But it's been helpful to me to just dial down the intensity on what it has to do, what it yeah. has to perform. Yeah. No, I agree. Needs to be more of that, more dialing down. <laughs> sure, man. Well, finally, what Mute Math is on hold on a on a hiatus um at the moment. What 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 are your plans creatively, musically? Yeah, well, I'm just writing and creating a bunch of music right now. Yeah. Um, I've been producing and writing for other artists, which I've enjoyed, and I'll probably do more of that. And I'm just also assimilating just some solo stuff. Um, maybe it's future Mute Math stuff, uh, but continuing to write, just document as things go, and I don't really know what's next. Yeah. Um, but... I never have for the past 15 years when I think about it. Um, it was just always about put your head down and just just um, explore this gift that you've been given. Yeah. And and that's what I've been doing. And it just seems like one thing kind of leads to the next. So I'm just trusting that again. Yeah. That's cool, man. So that's it. Yeah. I got another solo video that'll be coming out. I don't know when this podcast will be out, but... Um, I just I've been doing these studio solo performances. I just finished another one, so I'll be putting that up soon. Oh, cool! Is I did that... a tribute to the Beastie Boys. Oh, so sweet, I, had, I had fun man. with that. It was an early influence for me. Music, dude. The Beastie Boys were great. One of my favorite albums is Ill Communication. So what I did was I, I dove into that and recreated some of those tracks and took some Beastie Boy acapellas and remixed it. Oh, cool, man! I look forward to that. Yeah. Is, is this uh, is this where are you posting this stuff? 
It'll be on YouTube, YouTube? Facebook. Okay, cool. I'm sure there'll be some links on Mute Matt's stuff for it. Yeah. yeah. Cool, man. Yeah, I, I I drive my my wife is not she does not share the same affinity for the Beast Beastie Boys with me. So it's like I have to listen to them when she's not here. But yeah. I recently got the Paul's Boutique on uh on vinyl and Oh yeah. It's a great one. Yeah, not not too many women of our generation got the Beastie Boys memo. That's a little more no. more, <laughs> more of a guy thing. Sausage usually. fest. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway. Well, cool, man. Well, I, thanks I, for having me, Chris. I look forward to to hearing everything. You're you're, you're definitely one of the most uh, creative uh, people I know. That that's always getting new and always inspiring me. So uh, it's been oh, good to talk with you, and uh, I look forward to the next chapter, whatever it may be. Cheers, man. All right, man. <laughs> Right, this concludes this episode of the Extra Crispy Podcast. If you like what you hear, please go to iTunes and uh, give us a good review or Stitcher or Google Music, wherever it is that you hear this podcast. Uh, the more listeners we get, the, the better it can help us get better guests. <laughs> so, uh, And we got lots of good guests coming up in the coming episodes, so forward this on to your friends and uh we appreciate that and i will uh be working on some more episodes here in the coming weeks so until next time may all your conversations be extra crispy <laughs>